Welcome to the Maximus Theater and Performance Podcast. This is Jose Solis. Today, we review four shows we've seen over the past few weeks in pretty much every single borough. But before we get to the show, we wanted to give a shout out to our friend and contributor, Liz Richards, who got married recently. Liz, from all of us at Maximum, we wish you a lifetime of happiness. Enjoy the show. Okay, let's start with introductions. You go first, Penny Maria. Okay, okay, I was gesturing <laughs> toward Jose, of course. Um, but it's Penny Maria Jackson here. I'm happy to be doing another podcast. Thank you for, um, thank you to Jose for keeping this together while our dear friend is away working so hard. Um, to make the world a better place. Hi, Lindsay. Huh? Hi, Lindsay. Yes, yeah. Hi, Lindsay. Um, and I also a co-host to see or not to see with Emily Hawkins. Awesome. And today we have Alicia Ramirez joining us. Thank you, Alicia. Hi. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. I am from Puerto Rico, and I think it's really important to diversify points of view. Um from people who aren't exactly in the theater community, sometimes especially as theater journalists. Awesome. Thank you, Alicia. And I'm Jose Solis, and I'm everywhere by now, as you may know. So today we're going to be talking about four shows, and we went to a, we went, we made Penny Maria go to all the boroughs one more I time. I mean, again, <laughs> it's, just, it's just such an experience every time. And actually coming back home from, from Singlet, which we'll, we'll talk about, it took me two and a hours to get from Brooklyn to Manhattan. At night. Yeah, it was, it was quite a journey. So I was like, this is why I don't go to Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had a similar experience. It took me a while to find the, the Bushwick star. And I've never been to Bushwick, so. Mm-hmm. I wish Jose would have been there with me. <laughs> but I, I ran into the theater, so it's all good. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to, to Singlet then. But let's start with Dance Nation at Playwrights Horizon. As a dance expert... Um, no, no, just kidding. <laughs> Some of you may not work at um, Alvin Ailey for five years, so I got to see a lot of dance. So I was like, oh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with this show. Um, I'll read the synopsis now. Somewhere in America, an army of preteen competitive dancers plot to take over the world. And if their new routine is good enough, they'll claw the, their way to the top at the Boogie Down Grand Prix in Tampa Bay. But in Claire Barone's racist, pageant of ambition and ferocity these young dancers have more than choreography on their minds because every plie and jeté is a step toward finding themselves and a fight to unleash their power yes (laughs) so um you know i usually like to go into a show pretty blind right to see you know if i can gauge everything um you know without doing a lot of research i just like to go with the first impression and so this show was like, wait, what's happening? So what Claire um, decided to do with this show was actually cast adults, um, mostly women from from like 20s to 60s, but they're all playing like uh, these pre-teens, right? And at first I was like, this is really odd, but actually it makes a lot of sense, right? Because everything that we experience during that period of our life, right, we carry with us, right? And those are really our formative years. I really, um, it took me back to my years, right, when you're, well, in Miami, right, and and for a lot of people in the inner city, like, dance was the way out, so it really was important to kind of be the best and to give your all. Um, I don't know, it, it, it's, 
seems a little bit interesting to me, uh, trying to uh, gauge or really understand these young girls and the, the kind of issues they suffered from, um, such as like, you know, trying to have a good identity about self and growing up, my parents, my grand, more my mother, Josephine, and my grandma, Lillette, my big mama, Eldora, they always instilled that in me. So I never had that, you know, sense of self-doubt. Like, I always thought I was the best, even if I didn't get cast. <laughs> or even if I couldn't fit in that costume. I was like, that's all right. I should be, I should get that role. You know, so um, it was very interesting to see that perspective and actually understand um, a lot of the issues that women as a whole face today. Um, this show kind of encompassed everything um, from the competition between Zuzu and Amina, two of the girls who um, were competing for that lead spot. Um, again, self-worth, self-discovery, um, a teenage pact, you know, when you agree with your friends and you think it's going to, you know, last a lifetime. Um, they talked about, you know, kind of uh, sexual experiences, but having those those discoveries on your own. So it's kind of a more uh, pure approach rather than, you know, engaging um, in sex just yet. Um, they talked about, you know, the development of your bodies, what cycles, the um, future dreams. And I think one of the, <laughs> my, one of my favorite things, and actually it took me back as well, um, one of the characters, I think it's Zuzu, she, she's saying that by the time she's 23 years old, she's going to own an apartment in New York City. Girl. <laughs> and I'm like 32, and I'm still trying to <laughs> own. <laughs> but when you're younger, right, you think it's all like possible, and you don't really have a great concept of age. Um, I think another point that Claire Barone um, brought up, which I, I, I found a little hard to like kind of grasp, but I don't know, we can talk about this. Um, but... Uh, Amina's character, uh, or Amina is a character, and she's actually played by Dina Shahabi. She's supposed to be so amazing, but she feels like she has to step back and let someone else shine. And I think that as as women, we we're kind of put in a place where we have to be mindful of others, right? But if we look at society and men and how they try to dominate everything, they don't step back, right? Never. They always ask for that raise. Um, so it was like interesting. I feel like I'm always trying to put, propel myself forward and not understanding why people don't see my value. Whereas this particular character, she knew her value was so great. She was trying to pull it back a little bit. So that was um, a really interesting struggle in this production. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually what stuck with me about the play the most. Because it's we see that thing about, you know, it's talent, nature or nurture, mm -hmm. but also the fact that Amina and Zuzu mm -hmm. are both women of color mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like as a person of color, mm -hmm. and I can imagine as a woman, that's like, you know, like stepping back times two. Because exactly. if we had seen probably a white female dancer mm -hmm. she probably would have been like fuck this bitch exactly. like i'm gonna be the exactly. star exactly right but it's, it's that um uh I, I kind of hate to use this word but it's that whole supremacy factor right always elevating yourself to the top and putting yourself ahead of others i'm yeah. glad we saw a show that deals with that because i feel like we don't really talk about that very mm -hmm. often mm -hmm. very true yes and one thing that really stuck with me was not only being aware of her greatness um, for Amina, mm -hmm. but also how much restraint must I exercise mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when letting others shine, especially as a woman of color. Yeah, yeah. 
Definitely. And actually, back to your point, Jose, right? <laughs> so there was a character, and Claire, like, I guess she tried to balance this out. So there was a white woman who actually gave this speech about, and, and I, I quote it, and I hope this is right from the script, what am I going to do with all this power? So she recognizes her power at 13, and she's like, she's so fierce. Like, the world better step back and get out of her way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. That was one of the moments I I must admit it took me a minute to find out how to react to what was happening. And I noticed I wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. That when that scene was over, I looked around me and I was impressed, but a lot of people were looking at each other. Mm-hmm. Should I cringe should Uh, i laugh mm -hmm, mm -hmm. should i applaud this Mm -hmm, girl mm -hmm. for being so clear in her intentions Mm -hmm. well i must have gone on a performance uh when it was all her friends there because everyone was laughing and clapping (laughs) and applauding (laughs) so it's interesting right yeah i yeah most of the people the day that i went were older people seeing the show Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. interesting to have those two points of view exactly Um, I also want to uh, give a shout out to uh, Pruva Bidai. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her name, but we actually saw her in an ordinary Muslim. And so I thought it was a oh. wonderful contrast. Look, Jose didn't even recognize her. I did not. She, like, it was, I was like, okay, giving us that range. So I really enjoyed seeing her in a completely different role, you know, this month compared to what we saw her in last month. Right. So but that was cool. I yeah. thought, you know, like, this was a show that for some reason I, I think I connected to more like on an intellectual and like aesthetic mm-hmm. level than emotional. Mm-hmm. And I've been accused and probably the right. I've been accused by, by people saying, well, you're not a woman. You're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, they yeah. might be right. Yeah. I, yeah, I was, you know, I, I kept thinking, Jesus, like women go through so much mm-hmm. crap in this mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. I, I left the theater feeling kind of guilty, to be honest. Yeah. Not that I'm like, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. Um, and, and they did have um, a young man in the show, right? And I think, well, in, when I was growing up in, in my dance class, it was more like musical theater. So it was, you know, a good number of boys to girls. But for this show, um, considering that it was, a, a I guess, like a female dance school, they had a, one male in it. And so they kind of gave a little bit of his perspective, him trying to be friends, but really having a crush on one of the girls and like trying to get in there. But the girl was not thinking of him at all. And I think that's something that often like goes into adulthood. Right. The men are always like, we can't get in the friend zone because <laughs> then there's no coming back. <laughs> Um, let's see. And then also, uh, okay, so notes for the show. I, I was kind of like cringing just slightly, just a little bit. So um, I think it was uh, Zuzu. And, and actually, let's uh, recognize Zuzu. She was played by um, Ebony Booth, right? Uh, so, you know, great job overall, like showing the struggle of this young woman. But the, the, the ballet shoes were the wrong color, okay? <laughs> okay? The tights were the wrong color. When I was growing up and we could not find the colors that we needed, we had to dye the tights, right? So that it matched and it was flawless. And Dance Theater of Harlem actually um, were like, I guess they established this method or they're known for this method. And you can, every dancer you see on stage, that's a straight line. They don't buy and wear things just as they are if it doesn't match their skin tone. Mm. That's why, you know, the ballet tights, and of course the world is not cut up. Nude is still a color that's pale, ashy white. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's not. 
uh, it's a pale pale white or blush. Yes. Um, you know, and it's like, kind that's not nude for me. <laughs> I remember at Victoria's Secret one time fighting with them because they were trying to charge me more for something that was nude. And I was like, that's not nude for me. So I'm going to need the same discount for these other colors. <laughs> oh, good for you. Bravo. Yeah, bravo. You know, before we move on to, to our next show, there's something that I, I, I'm, I just thought about right now. And it's, you know, obviously we live in New York. We saw the show in New York. But did you notice, you know, like, because I, I forget where the dance station is set, but it's mm-hmm. like in a small town. And yeah, uh, and they're trying to get to Pittsburgh. And yeah. Ohio. And did you notice how, you know, New York audiences would laugh every time they would mention like, oh, we're going to like the Nationals or whatever. Yeah. And like, I don't feel like the play was condescending to these characters, but I felt that in many ways the audience was because mm. they would. Yes. They were laughing at these, you know, people from a small town wanting to move. Yeah. On in the world, and that yeah. really made me uncomfortable. I wonder what that laughter is about. Is it sort of because we know in New York, right? And New York is a city full of people from other towns and mm-hmm. countries. So are they laughing like, oh, I remember when I thought it was going to be a, you know, an easy move, or I remember when I first came, or was it actually, oh, I'm a New, a New Yorker now and looking down on everyone else? Yeah. Hmm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so. Next up, we went to the Astoria Performing Arts Center to Follies, which, I mean, full disclosure is like one of my favorite musicals and I think one of the greatest musicals ever with a book by James Goldman and music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. One of the things that I love about going to APAC in Astoria is that I think they put on like phenomenal Sondheim shows. They are, I've seen a couple of the shows they've done there, and it's always, you know, like, Sondheim's like a freaking genius, but every time I go to, to the APAC, I come out realizing something different about Sondheim's work. And with Follies, which is about uh, a group of former, like, Follies girls who reunite because the theater where they performed when they were younger is about to be demolished. So they go back to the theater and they reminisce about, you know, the past. And there's obviously songs and heartbreak. And as with Sondheim, there's always like, oops, shut up, bing, bing. Anyway, (laughs) and as with all Sondheim, there's like incredible songs. I think the ensemble did a fantastic job and i really loved you know I'm, every time i see follies i'm always just like dying to see when mm-hmm. someone sings um jesus losing my mind excuse me yeah mm-hmm. are you gonna sing it for us Pamaria? maria sun comes up <laughs> i think about you the coffee cup <laughs> i think about you you know you you have to add all that drama you know <laughs> And warm up, you know, that's just a little sample, a little something. Yeah, so if anyone's doing Follies next, pay Maria for Sally. And I, you know, I love Tina Stafford who played Sally because she brought a special kind of force to the part that I had never seen any actor bring to it. She was just so elegant, mm-hmm. like, she just like seemed to like hover on that stage mm-hmm. i'm like is she like floating she's like mm-hmm. dressed in this beautiful column dress and she's just like you know like just like waltzing pretty much on air for some reason yeah. so i love the show and i love what they did with the space like that mm-hmm. space is always they they're always reinventing it and showing yeah. something new i was really impressed by the space uh, we saw another show there 
um, not too long ago. And I was like, oh, this is completely different. Although the folly lettering threw me off. I was trying to figure yeah. out the whole perspective. I was like, are we on stage? Are we backstage? Should the letters be turned the opposite way? Mm. But I think most people <laughs> don't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the staging was really clever and the use of the entrances and exits of this space. You did not know who was going to come in or out. Just, I always looked at the stage, but I always kept an eye out for the side entrance. For that the was wings. that was yeah. that was next to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in a way, I felt that it was you know it's not like an immersive production, but in a way, I felt that the audience we were also kind of like the ghosts of the theater. Yes. Yeah. Who are just Ooh. like yeah like you know like spying on the Follies girls and seeing what's going on with them. And it made me think about this is a city also where buildings are constantly changing and like, Mm -hmm. you know, like historical places are turned to parking lots. And it made me, you know, go out into the world and be like, oh, I hope, you know, I hope they don't demolish this theater anytime soon. Mm -hmm. No, but that, you know, that's also another, both, you know, valid points. The ghost in in the theater, right? We think of New York City and how overall every building holds so much history. And with all of this constant changing and gentrification, a lot of this history is getting lost. Whatever isn't preserved or landmarked or can't be in time is just gone. It makes me think of um, Lennox Lounge that was on 124th Street in Lennox and Harlem. So many greats performed there. And now it's, I think it's about to be a retail shop. So that's really, you know, a loss, not just for the Harlem community, um, but for the world as a whole. I'm so glad I got to go there and actually see a performance. So that was pretty amazing. I don't like that. We should go, like, protest outside so they don't demolish it. I know. It, 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 it was, it, it's already gone. Yeah. Yeah. It was a whole big thing. I want to circle back to Jose's point about Sally. I completely agree. And I want to add that they weren't using microphones. Mm-hmm. So it was even more powerful. Those voices, man. Like, Penny Maria, you ready to <laughs> do follies without a mic? Um, I think I could handle it if I go back into rehearsal. <laughs> you know, it just dust off a little bit. Um, but I was actually, that the mic comment made me think, well, first, I did get to see the Broadway production in 2011 with Miss Bernadette Peters. Mm. <laughs> but I had a seat way in the back. <laughs> so this, mm-hmm. you know, was um, a better perspective. And I did think um, that uh, Tina did a great job at playing uh, Sally. But voice-wise, talking about projection, um, the opposite to Sally is Phyllis, and that was played by Marcy Henderson. I thought she did a great job as well. Um, at first, it threw me. They did a little colorblind casting. I was like, wait, wait, wait. It took me a minute to get adjusted because I was like, in the 20s, in the <laughs> 30s, um, hmm, I, I know that people of color were allowed to perform in some theaters, um, but they were, were those performances integrated? I was like just having an internal struggle for a second. But then I was like, yeah, let it go. Get into the, into the spirit of the play. And I really enjoyed the performance and the dynamic between the two of them. But uh, Tia DeShazor who played younger Phyllis, I thought she did a great job like overall, but she was not projecting when she was singing. I was close enough to hear that she had a great voice, and I was like, sing out, Louise, sing out! (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) but, you know, just since you brought up that mic point, I was like, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, they could have worked with her a little bit on Mm -hmm. that. 
Um, I also really loved uh, LaDonna Burns, uh, who did uh, the tap number. Yes. Right? Um, but, okay, okay, wait. She was serving you, you know, all the juicy, beauty, fun, you know, like basically the role of my life. She was <laughs> on stage. Um, but she was wearing those flat character, uh, those flat tap shoes, and it was just irking me. Because I was like, I know this woman has not purchased any new shoes, so likely she went into her closet to get her old shoes. And if she were a Folly, Follies girl, she would have had character tap shoes like I had back in the day when I was younger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know? So I was just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, they were not the exact proper color. But, you know, she did a great job performing, giving you all of that energy. The audience really loved it and really gave her like a uh, thunderous applause so yeah. i really enjoyed her presence on stage right because follies is a very usually a very depressing show so but mm-hmm. i actually left the theater kind of happy so yeah. like i love the ensemble it's a huge ensemble yeah so i, I think everyone was like, huh. pretty great and you know you brought up uh the 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 casting the blind uh mm-hmm. the colorblind casting mm-hmm. what i thought mm-hmm. to get me out of that inner yeah. you know discussion that you were having with yourself is that I imagined she was like a Josephine Baker type mm-hmm. and that cleared it for me. I was like, but they had more than one person of color. They had two. So I think that was the conundrum, right? Even mm-hmm. today, even on a lot of Broadway shows, you may have one person of color, maybe one woman, one man, but rarely do you see more than one. They're just <laughs> so checking like, back the... Back in the day, I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> They're just checking the boxes. But, but I, applaud, I applaud, you know, this uh, program, I mean, this production's choice. And, you know, I thought they did really great on the casting overall. I also like um, Hattie, who did uh, Broadway Baby. But I thought she was a little too reserved. She was, like, doing smaller moves. But I felt like... I, I could see that back in the day, she used to really give it to you. Mm-hmm. And so maybe she was like, you know, feeling a little more timid now. Maybe she was like, I'm older or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, even if I imagine, right, if we get older, but we come back together with everyone we used to perform with, like, you'll, you want to give your all. So I was like, give me more, give me more. Mm-hmm. Um, but she did really great with the choreography and the moves and the Broadway, baby. Uh-huh. So I really liked that <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I had one other note. I wanted to call out Victoria Bundonas. She had on the red Grecian gown. And I really, I, I thought, um, I enjoyed her performance overall. She, like, did a lot of the side chats, like, you know, engaging with the, for scene transitions, engaging with different people. But she had all the lines. But um, I really enjoyed her performance. Yeah. Gave us different levels. I like that. Let's move on to our next show then. We went to Repertorio Español and saw El Crédito. So, Alicia, tell us about it. So, El Crédito at Repertorio Español is a two-person comedy where a man called Antonio goes to a bank and the manager refuses to give, give him a loan. So, he tells on the bank manager that he is willing to do the unthinkable to get that money and oh sounds like i missed a good one mm-hmm. <laughs> you sure did it was really good <laughs> and in that process both men learn a lot about each other their strengths and weaknesses and try not to lose their temper with one another and repertorio as you may or may not know offers translations so you can enjoy the fun in either Spanish or English. 
something that I really liked about the show was how it changed like genres because it starts like as a pure like comedy, but then it tricks us into thinking that it's gonna become a thriller or like oh a, yeah yeah like a suspense thing, and then it goes back to being a comedy. And usually, you know, I'm not usually very engaged with shows about men because mm-hmm. I think men are really boring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the two, <laughs> the two men in the show were so fascinating. And you know, even if on the surface I thought the show was keeping it very straight, it's just about this guy trying to get money to, you know, pretty much solve his life. The show, by being so you know in a way like straightforward and staying on the surface made me think about so many other things like for instance you know the disastrous like economy in spain and how this man has to go beg for three thousand euros pay maria and the bank won't give it to them and this man can't even pay his rent anymore and he has no job he has nothing Mm -hmm. but the banker's like yeah you have nothing like why am i gonna give you this so they go into this mm-hmm. discussion about like neoliberalism and how in many ways, and I think that also applies to America and probably to the entire world, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. how banks, you know, control everything mm-hmm. and basically forget the human aspect. And it's all about money and trying to make more money and getting more money. And they forget that they're dealing with people. Not, not everyone's like a billionaire. Not everyone can. Yeah. yeah. I, I found it to be a play about manipulation mm. too. Mm-hmm how the manager manipulated his way into not giving him the money, but he knew that at one point he may or may not have to give in to this man's demands and try not to lose his crap. Right. It was really good. I I thought it was going to be kind of boring because (laughs) there were two male characters, Mm -hmm. but I laughed almost the entire time. And Jose can attest to that. I was there. I saw. I heard <laughs> it. Yeah. And I also, I also appreciate it that you know it's a show that like, repertorio. I love repertorio so much because they constantly remind me, even as a native Spanish speaker, that Spanish goes beyond. For instance, like where I was born, like mm-hmm. Spanish mm-hmm. is like, you know, like so many countries have Spanish, and I love going to repertorio. And every time I go, it's a place set in a different country. This one was set in Spain, and I really love that. There's a whole like kind of subplot where the guy who's asking for the loan is always correcting the bank manager who has acquired all this like anglicisms. Mm. And he's always like, no, don't say WhatsApp. Call it a message in uh, Spanish, right? Like yes. he's like, yeah. like let's yeah. preserve our Spanish. Like yes. let's stick and to our roots. And that is prevalent in, in different parts of whether it's Spain or Latin America. That is a constant struggle and just embracing or not embracing Spanglish and how it's taken over. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that because I don't think I think about that very mm-hmm. often. If there was something that made me slightly uncomfortable about the show, but I think it, it was on purpose, is that these two men at one point talk about a woman specifically about, you know, she becomes like uh, uh, currency, like they're trying to, you know, like use a women that we never meet, but they're trying to use the women as leverage for whatever they're dealing with. I found that to be really gross, but also very accurate because men talk like that. It's really horrendous. So I'm glad that the show brings it up. Mm-hmm. 
But you know, it's one of those things that always makes you feel kind of icky. Yeah, I'm like, Ugh, like stop talking about women like that. Like, fortunately, even though we never see this character, I think uh, if we met her, she sounds like a pretty badass woman. Like she's not mm-hmm. putting up with their mm-hmm. with their bullshit. So I applaud the invisible women in the show yeah. that we never meet. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I will say I did. I uh, was talking to one of my. Uh, friends and I was like, oh yeah, I saw the show at Epiterio, and she was like, wait, they do shows in Spanish. <laughs> she just couldn't believe I went there, and I was like, well, you know, I got the hookup, um, and I could just understand, you know, I'm from Miami, so I could keep up. She looked so confused. I was like, okay, okay, they had translators. <laughs> <laughs> so, Penny Maria, if you want to go laugh, uh, I would, I, I would highly recommend okay. that you go to El Crédito. Yes, and it's it's a very fi- fast paced kind of humor. Um, it reminded me of, to some extent, to the kind of the pace and the witty banter of Rory and Lorelai Gilmore. Right. I thought, these two guys are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was a back and forth for me. Even though I'm a native speaker, I had to keep up with their pace and not miss any of the jokes. But... Later on, you notice that as it changes from a comedy to sort of thriller, the pace slows down and then picks back up. Mm-hmm. The rhythms were great. And uh, last, we went to Bushwick and saw Singlet by Erin Markey. Singlet's performed by Erin Markey and Emily Davis. And you know what? Now that I have to talk about the show, I'm realizing how hard it's going to be for me to describe what the show's about. Because basically, yeah, yeah, basically (laughs) it's two women, you know, Emily and Erin in wrestling singlets. Mm -hmm. And they're basically... Oh, is that what it's called? The thing, yeah. I have no idea. Me neither. I was like singlet. I was really like pondering and I did not like look it up. But oh, that's what, you know, I I was thinking a unitard or, you know, I don't know. But that's just Dan. Yeah. I didn't know what it was called. A wrestling singlet. Well, I know I know sports, Penny Maria. No, I'm kidding. I don't know anything about that. I do know that those are called singlets, though. Okay. And it's about this women in singlets pretty much doing a series of rituals that mm-hmm. women go through in daily life. We see, for instance, you know, the, the two uh, actors on stage play both male and female characters. And we see, for instance, uh, dynamics between a photographer who's shooting a model mm-hmm. and trying to get her into like this like tiny, tiny, mm-hmm. tiny, tiny mm-hmm. T-shirt. Or then we see, you know, mothers and daughters and mm-hmm. teachers and students. And fathers. Yeah. And also they uh, did a lot of the lines together, mm-hmm. which, you know, alludes to the fact that it you know, at either point in our life or any point in our life, we could be both roles, mm-hmm. right? So that yes. was very interesting as well. It was I, it was really fascinating because, you know, like I didn't, I never knew where the show was going to take me next. Not, a, not yes. at all. Not exactly. At all. <laughs> they had even um, some absurd dance numbers. Yeah. And True. I was like, yes. what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> And, like, just the fact that the set was this, like, you know, huge mm-hmm. white space, like, mm-hmm. ceiling to yeah. floor covered like in a white photo paint. Studio. Yeah. yeah. And it had that. The wrestling or the symbol medallion. Yeah. It had, like, a lion floor. thing mm-hmm. that looked, it kind of looked like Arr. the Versace. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I thought ah. about that, too. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I thought it was about me because I'm a Leo. <laughs> but, okay. Okay. 
Now I see it, it can be taken as anything. I got it. Thank you all for, you know, keeping me <laughs> Did you have, like, any favorite, like, vignettes in this show? Because so many things happen that it's not, like, a show that we can, like, describe yes. the plot to. Yeah, I I didn't know where the show was going to take me. I, I didn't receive a program initially. So I was surprised by the fact that it wasn't a linear plot. So I really enjoyed the vignette where the coach instructs the student to wear an extra small shirt and it's tiny yes that was hilarious i think everyone well they talk about it for so long Mm -hmm. and so you're anticipating it's a slightly smaller right so the joke is that it's tremendously smaller yes yeah it's like a baby shirt Yes, and the other one I enjoyed was um, the mother-daughter scene where they're grieving um, the grandmother's <laughs> impending death. Sorry, it's not. It's, it, not, it's okay. It's not funny, but they made the scene funny. Yeah. I, oh yes. But you know what it is that yeah that's that's a good reaction because it made me think about Dance Nation yeah. because yeah. of uh-huh. that because I was like. Mm-hmm. Am I supposed to laugh? Like, am I going to be like a crazy person if I laugh? Are people going to judge me if I laugh at this? And I love that both these shows deal with that, Mm -hmm. you know, like strange dynamic that we have as human beings and how we react to things. Because Singlet was also in many ways, Mm -hmm. like kind of like being trapped in a dream. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, it was. That is a great description. Oh, yes. Dream. Yeah. It was just one thing to the next. Like it was. Yeah. Uh, uh, I want to say it encompassed a lot of the absurd. It, it made me very um, awkward in the very beginning. There was too much close talking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> and I was like, uh, so I was what is going to things. happen? Yes, yes, yes. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I got to, uh, well, I discovered that it's intended kind of as a power play, right? Mm. So that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of mm-hmm. tied all the different vignettes together for me once I understood that concept, right? And that's why they were costumed in the way that they were. Um, and it was staged the way that it was. And the set it looked like it did. So that made a lot of sense, right? And all throughout life, it's like you're constantly battling, right? Whether it's friends, whether it's, you know, superiors where you know whatever it is in life you know you're always trying to kind of hold your stance so to speak um so um that was something to note i want to say that i love the way that they matched the singlets (laughs) i like the glitter nails that was that was a little nice touch okay um and also they they looked exactly like, they tried to look exactly alike. Like, they had the same high ponytails going on with the braids. You know, they had the same sort of shoes. So, um, at, at first, it was kind of hard to kind of distinguish between the two of them. But once they started looking at us and <laughs> we could see their faces, you know, then I, I could understand who was who. And I think that um, Aaron was a stronger performer. But come to find out, it's, you know, it's actually her show. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, she's had more time, right, to really get down with this concept. Um, but she also created some of the music as well. So this is her baby entirely. Yeah. How cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always applaud Erin for being, like, one of the – every time I go see one of her shows, I know that I'm going to be thinking about it for a while. So yeah. thank you, Erin, if you're listening for that. And uh, so what's next on our calendars? What are you seeing next, well, Maria? I will say 
that uh, over the past couple of weekends, I did have a chance to go down to Signature Theater. Um, I, I, for me, I think this is the first time they've had uh, two shows featuring artists of color and, and, pri and uh, prominent roles uh, by two different playwrights. So I got to see Our Lady of 121st Street by, by Stephen, um, and then it was also directed by Felicia Rashad. And it had Hill Harper in it, and you know, so I'm always I'm always pretty judgmental, right, about these <laughs> these film stars. But I was like, okay, he really was giving me everything on stage, so I uh, really liked that. And this show dealt with everything, including loss of life, uh, finding religion again, uh, struggle with sexuality, right? When you go back home, and you know, th there was one character who had like come out of the closet, but then when he went home, he was telling his husband like, you. Don't act gay. And so that was just a whole different perspective watching that dynamic between them. Um, and then, you know, the uh, also it dealt with um, anger and mental health issues. And this actually takes place on um, 121st Street in Harlem, right? And so th the set is a real place, and this is in a real time. But I think uh, Stephen, the playwright, uh, uh, the quote that I understood that it kind of inspired him for this show was, what kind of world is this, right? So something absurd happens in the beginning at the funeral home, and it's it's sort of resolved, but not really. And I think that was done intentionally for this show um, because what kind of world is this? There are so many things that happen that make no sense at all. Um, and, you know, we can't really reconcile all of that. So that was... Um, I applaud Signature for doing that. The set was really cool, by the way. They had pieces that uh, transitioned very seamlessly without, you know, moving set pieces on and off, revolving pieces, and it transformed from the funeral home into the bar quite seamlessly, which is really great. Also, I got to see uh, Paradise Blue by Dominique Morso. We know, we all know Dominique, um, and I was warned beforehand that this show was. To August Wilson-y, so that made me cringe. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, you know, I uh, I applaud August Wilson for his contribution, but please, please, enough. Make let's make way for these new playwrights. So I was like, Dominique's doing something like August Wilson. What is that? So I was, but I was, you know, but I went to go check it out. Um, and all and uh, Ruben Santiago Hudson directed it, so I was mm. like, oh, maybe it is to August Wilson. <laughs> right? But actually, I didn't find it that at all. I think uh, people have that perspective because it's about black people in the same period of time and because we have so few references in the theatrical world um, that it's easy to make that comparison. But I thought her writing was very fresh, very lively. Um, and it, it was all about um, this musician who owned a club and he was actually, uh, there's the city was going through gentrification, right? So people are like leaving and, and fleeing and uh, he was made an offer, right, to sell his business. And once he sold, everyone in the community knew that everyone else was going to do the same. So it's about that whole entire struggle. Um, and it also dealt, dealt with mental health as well because the lead character, and, and you know, as a lot of musicians uh, can be very troubled, they're genius, right? But then also, what does that genius cost them? So his father, the primary character, uh, Blue, who actually wasn't on stage that much. So I think it's just the presence of this uh, that's uh, significant to the show. Um, but, uh, you know, that whole mental struggle, like how can he find that perfect 
song, what's going to be that perfect note that cements its place in history as a musician. Um, they also had Simone Mythic who came in um, from out of town and she kind of presented this really strong black female character that was a complete opposite of Blue's wife who was played by, or girlfriend, who was played by Crystalyn Lloyd, who, I don't know if you got to see her in uh, Dear Evan Hansen, mm -hmm. um, but this was a completely different role, really great. Um, but she was really demure and she actually was abused by Blue and trying to cover that up. So she kind of put herself into poetry um, and when Simone came, I was like, woman, you need to get it together. You saw that change that happened in, in Pumpkin, Crystalline's, uh, character. And, uh, that's where the play gets really interesting. So I'll leave that out there. I'm seeing those, I'm seeing those in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> okay, so, okay. Hmm. okay, well, let me know. We'll have to reconvene. Yeah, I will. Cause now I'm hoping that we get to a point in our, you know, I hope while we're still around, mm -hmm. where people are saying this is very Dominique mm -hmm. rather than this is very August. Yeah, right? exactly. Wouldn't that be awesome? Exactly. And yes. actually, I mean, to the point where there's more than one well-known playwright, black playwright to talk about history, yes. people of color in general, I would like, and everyone recognizes it. It's not just February, let's do August Wilson month. No, no. Like, <laughs> we need to open up that canon. So yes. Dominique is here yes. to help with that. Let's make yeah. it happen. So what are you seeing next, Alicia? I don't have anything on the agenda for the immediate future, but I want to give a shout out to Miss You Like Hell. <laughs> oh, I got yeah. to see that too. Yes, oh, I, yeah. I absolutely loved it. And they're getting a cast recording. So Yay. I wish it would have extended once more. But luckily, with this cast recording, people are going to enjoy those poignant songs yes. and that beautiful message of mm -hmm. inclusivity that is so pertinent in today's life. Yes, I hope. And I hope the show comes back at some point oh, mm -hmm. in the future. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. It's it, so beautiful. Yeah. And just to add, it was the best. $20 I've, I've spent in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I understand there's been some controversy around uh, this show about uh, let's say the people without a drop of melanin feeling like it was like just such a horrible show. And mm. I was like, mm -hmm. you know, and I was talking to one of my, my friends, Annabelle, and she was like, if that's all you got from it, then something is wrong with you. Yes. But yes. clearly she was right. Like I got to see it too. And like, and, and also, let's think about who created the problems in the first place yes. that the show uh -huh. has to address. Don't get... Okay, no, we'll save that for later because I'm about to... Ooh, yeah. Ooh, I'm like, calm down. Let me stand myself. White people stop <laughs> making Pay Maria angry. But yeah, yeah, you know, like I read... Uh, Actually, Alicia wrote a, a really good piece on the on Miss You Like Hell for Stage Buddy. And yeah, because, you know, like I, I noticed this also as a person of color. Like I went on show score and 28 of the critics, you know, 28 out of the 28 critics reviews on show score for Miss You Like Hell were written by white mm. people. Mm -mm. So, but that's also on the public. Yeah. Public theater invite yeah. critics of color. Definitely. You're doing so much work to put these shows on. Let's take it to that next level and get people who actually understand what the show is about in there. Exactly. Yes. Take that and run. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I also um, just quickly want to go back to Dance Nation. I forgot to mention Thomas J. Ryan, who was a dance teacher. Yes. I thought he was so into 
into that character. Mm-hmm. He was like, he was so into himself and that like his work was like the highest caliber. And these little girls who didn't know any better, they were like, yes, yes, it's gonna be phenomenal. <laughs> so uh, that was a really great performance on his part. You know something that since you brought him up, something that I thought about, and the show doesn't necessarily hint at that. But I could totally see this dance teacher who was so intense with this poor 13-year-old mm-hmm. girls mm-hmm. being someone that in the future, one of these girls would be like, you know, hashtag me too. Yeah. He was oh, well, they do that in the yes. show, definitely. Yeah. He was just like horrible mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. He would like yell at them and be like, you're not talented and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's always that tricky thing where you're like, we're just like a genius man yeah. who thinks he can get away with mm-hmm. anything because he's like so talented. Uh-huh. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that yeah, up. The parents came to talk to him, and yeah, that, I, I recall all of this from my <laughs> formative years. <laughs> I also got a chance to see Harry Clark at Manetta Lane Theater. Okay, I was like, okay, here we go, a one man show. But by the end, I was like, okay. Wasn't that show so sexy? It was. Yeah. It also kind of made me want to be a little <laughs> evil and start crying. <laughs> I was like, this could, what could I do with my life? Because I need to pay my student loans. Yeah. But, you know, he did, uh, I'm sorry, who was the actor again? Billy Crip. Yeah, Tim, yeah, that's right. So he did um, a great job at handling that show on his own. And and, and, and just really quickly, it gave um, three different levels, right? He's struggling with himself. At the beginning, he's standing up, right? Then by the middle, he's sitting down. And at the end, he's on the floor, like his humanity. Mm-hmm. He still walks away with millions, though, yeah. you know? <laughs> And I think that show's coming to Audible soon because oh, yeah, Audible yeah, produced yeah. it and it was also directed by Lee Silverman, who's a freaking genius. Yes, yes, yes. So that's awesome. I think we've had a pretty good couple of weeks at the theater recently. We, so. we really did. Yes. Yeah, I'll be checking out. It's not necessarily theater, but I'm going to the annual um, BAM Dance Africa, you Ooh. know. How cool. So I'm going to be checking that out next weekend, you know, taking me back. Bum, ba, dum, bum, ba, ba. Oh, oh, see, I'm doing a whole performance right now, but you guys are missing it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, too Sorry. bad. You should you should send us out with another f- song from Follies, Penny Maria. Oh, I don't know if the people are ready for it. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll let you take one. Yes, well, listeners, let us know if you want to listen. You know, to hear Primaria sing more from Follies, and we will make that happen. So, thank you for for joining us. Yes, thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximum Theater Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that are different from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Maximum. Penny Maria is at Penny Maria. Alicia is at A Ramirez Gar 31. And I am at Jose Solis Mayen. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximoisms. You can get to the store via maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. Thank you. Theatrical Media.